we're so used to seeing things that, in my opinion, aren't quite right in our treatment of animals. Yeah, the less we eat, the less violence is being done, and the less destruction to the environment. Everyone eats, and everyone has to make a moral decision every time that we sit down to the table. Welcome to Animal Voices Radio here in Western Canada. We are Canada's only radio program dedicated to animal advocacy and compassionate living. This is 100.5 FM CFRO Vancouver Co-op Radio here in so-called Vancouver on unceded traditional Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh territory. Today is Friday, October 2nd, the first episode here in October of 2020, and I am your host, Grace Wampold. I will also be joined by my co-host, Allison, who will be bringing us a film review because we are currently in the midst of the Vancouver Film Festival. And there's always a few gems that are related to animals and uh, advocacy in that regard. We also have a great interview with a friend of mine from Living Tree Foods, a vegan charcuterie company from here in Vancouver. And they are present at many different markets around the city, and that's how we met. Um, So stay tuned. We will also be celebrating the Day for Farmed Animals. Today is the official uh, day in which we celebrate animals that are living on farms. And we'll talk a bit about what that means for their lives and how we can support animals that are lumped into that subcategory of farm animals and talk about some stories of some animals and some farms that are doing a really cool thing, doing a great job. Uh, Yeah, so on that note, please stay tuned for today's episode and I will see you in a minute. Are you a renter in Vancouver wondering how you'll be able to pay rent during the pandemic? Are you worried about rent debt or the possibility you might be evicted from your home? The Vancouver Tenants Union has your back. They have been very busy during the COVID-19 crisis, trying to affect legislative change that protects renters all over the city from rent debt, rent increases, and eviction. Find out how you can be involved by visiting their website at vancouvertenantsunion.ca or send them an email at tenantsunion.yvr at gmail.com. Before we go any further, this is very important. Tomorrow, October 3rd, so you still have time, at 3 p.m. Eastern Time or noon Pacific Time, there will be a virtual farm sanctuary tour led by Veggie Mijas, their national event. You can experience a live virtual farm sanctuary trip at the world-famous Vine Sanctuary which is run by Patrice Jones, an eco-feminist writer, educator, activist, and lesbian queen who runs the LGBTQ-led farm animal sanctuary, Vine Sanctuary. So it's interspecies and consistent in their anti-oppression work and situated in Springfield, Vermont. So if you'd like to go, you can RSVP by going to Vegemiha's Instagram page and clicking get tickets on their homepage. You'll also be asked to donate money if you can. So the price could be anywhere from $10 to $15, but no one will get rejected if they're unable to donate. If you want to be virtually getting to know the farm animals that live at Vine Sanctuary, uh, if you don't have time to attend this farm trip, Considering that today is the National Day for Animals That Live on Farms, I would suggest looking into Vine Sanctuary, going to YouTube, listening to Patrice talk about why she started the sanctuary and what their values are. Um, There's a really amazing story about a pair of ducks that fell in love 
which I will now share with you as a bit of an interlude, Patrice discussing her first time bringing ducks to the sanctuary. And so we were a little sanctuary, just a few acres, literally surrounded by factory farms. And the story that I want to tell you today dates to back then. So try to imagine this little refuge for birds on a peninsula where they kill and cut up more than a million birds every day. But where the people who started the refuge understood that whatever you can do for whoever you can do it might mean the world to them. And the story that I have to tell you concerns two ducks who came to us after being rescued from a foie gras factory. So these ducks came to us, it was a group of eight ducks who came to us from some of the worst suffering that human beings have inflicted on animals ever. And yet, when they came, they were so delightful, so open to new experiences, so interested in the chickens and interested in us and of course talking 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 all the time how many people here know ducks ducks are delightful they're just talking to each other all the time looking looking talking looking just involved so i was a little bit nervous about taking care of these ducks because i'd taken care of chickens for a few years but these were our first ducks so i was maybe a little bit overprotective one day, but I couldn't help but notice that these ducks were just so friendly. Like, they were bigger than the chickens, and yet they were very polite to the chickens. Like, if there was a new chicken who had just come and was scared and didn't quite know how to go into the barn, they would stand to the side and, and, and not crowd her until she got in. Just little bits of kindness like that from these ducks who had known nothing but unkindness their whole lives. Uh, made me fall in love with them. Now, unfortunately, we couldn't keep the eight ducks together because we didn't have enough room in either of our coops for them. So we, put, we looked and saw who was friends with who, and we moved four into one building and four into another building. Um, and these two buildings were some distance from each other, and they each had their own yards. Hmm? So one day I come out in the afternoon, to refresh waters and clean coops, etc., And I see the two of the ducks are fighting. And I'm like, what? No, you, no fighting. You can't fight here. This is a sanctuary. Like even the former fighting roosters do not fight here. Um, so I tried to figure out who was the aggressor. And then I took the one who I thought was being attacked and I, I moved him over to the other building, right, where he would be safe. I did what I was going to do. I went back in the house. I came out about an, an hour later, and they were fighting again. Now, that might not sound as amazing to you as it was to me, but in order to be together to be fighting again, what had to happen was that the one I had moved had to walk through the yard, climb a 12-foot fence, walk through the woods, make a sharp left turn, walk down the road, make another left turn, and then climb another fence to get to this person he was fighting with again. So I separated them, went about my business, maybe cleaned the coop, put out some fresh food, went back inside, came back out, and I found them talk, 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 talking through the fence, which meant that the one had gone through that whole gambit and so I thought okay well maybe they're just friends but they were having an argument and now they're working it out so I went ahead and lifted him back in turned around refilled some water bowls turned around again they were fighting again at least three times I separated them before I literally hit my forehead with my hand and realized that that was not in fact fighting it was sex they were boyfriends, uh, so we called them Jean-Paul and Jean-Claude. And, um, and once I stopped interfering with their relationship, they lived together at the sanctuary for nine years. They slept in the coop together each night. They socialized together each day. I'm not saying they were monogamous, 
because ducks tend not to be, but they were clearly each other's primary partner. Ducks are what people tend to call polyamorous now. Yeah. And then um, nine years later when Jean-Claude started to fade and eventually died from the liver disease that was probably due to his um, foie gras experiences, uh, Jean-Paul then died within a week, even though he had seemed perfectly healthy. So what can we learn from this story of two queer ducks? Well, I can tell you some of the things that that experience got me to start thinking about. It really got me to start thinking about linkages between the exploitation of animals and the oppression of LGBTQ people. Even though hundreds of non-human animals um, participate in same-sex relationships of various kinds, and even though um, same-sex relationships uh, have existed in every human culture, one of the most damaging and common things that is said to LGBTQ people is it's not natural, right? Animals are portrayed on um, nature shows as though it is a struggle of the heterosexuals to mate and move their genes into the next generation, right? What I realized was that portraying animals as relentlessly heterosexual, as, as, as reproducing automatons, um, ends up hurting animals and people both. Um, so this is an example of an intersection between two different kinds of oppression, they, or, or what seem like different kinds of oppression, but they have a common root, right? And so this portrayal diminishes animals. Um, it diminishes them by being a lie about them, but it also diminishes them by, by denying their capacity for love by denying their capacity to do something just because it feels good. And so if you're thinking of animals as these reproducing automatons, then it's much easier to lock them up in a vivisection lab or to confine them on a factory farm or to deny their rights in other ways, right? So this hurts animals, but at the same time, the portrayal of anything other than reproductive heterosexuality as unnatural obviously has very negative knock-on effects against LGBTQ people, really, and any people. Because check it out. Like, that duck, that duck, that duck walked through a yard, climbed a 12-foot fence, walked through a forest, took a sharp left turn, walked down a road, took another left turn, walked up a driveway and climbed another fence three times, even though a deranged ape kept pulling him away from his boyfriend. And I must have been a scary ape to him too. That's amazing that he was able to do that. And what I want to come back to is what I said at the beginning, because that power lives in you. He wanted to be with his boyfriend. He felt the impulse for a real and genuine connection with someone he loved, and he didn't let the deranged ape or the fence or the road or the other fence or anything else stop him from being with his beloved. And we have seen this time and time again among humans too, right? I mean, there have been times, and there still are places, where same-sex relationships are criminalized. You can even get the death penalty. Has that stopped people from loving each other across those borders? No. Why? Because Eros, in all of its queerness, is in fact our most powerful source of energy, and it's endlessly renewable. It lives in all of you, and this is going to be the harder part to remember, it also lives in the heart somewhere of every vivisector or butcher or person who eats a hamburger without even thinking about it. Everyone comes into the world wanting good relationships with others. I want you to tap into that source of sustainable energy and to evoke it for others. And if you do that, I do believe 
that we can reach a safer and more equitable world for all the queer ducks and all the deranged apes too. Thank you. If you like what you just heard, or if you want to hear more about Vine Sanctuary, or visit the adorable animals that are present on that site, go to at Vine Sanctuary on Instagram or at Veggie Mihaz to learn more. Thank you. In local news, the BC SPCA says that 97 badly neglected animals were seized from a property in the southern interior this week. According to the SPCA, the seizure happened on Wednesday, September 23rd in Princeton following a complaint with the animal protection officers having had to remove 43 puppies, 24 adult dogs, 27 horses, and three cats. The animals were living in an extremely poor environment with unsanitary living conditions, overcrowding, and poor ventilation. The SPCA has already stated that this was particularly frustrating to them as they've had complaints about this household in the past for having too many animals and neglecting to take care of them. And a person who owns this house is known to hide animals from the authorities. There's a range of breeds from Labradors, Dalmatians, Corgis to Great Pyrenees at this house. Many of them are very sick and are being cared for in Kelowna and Penticton. Some will be transferred to the Lower Mainland as well, and the horses are being cared for at a facility in Armstrong. I'm glad to hear that these animals are now in safe hands. If you hear anything about animals that are not being properly taken care of around the Princeton area, please report it to the BCSPCA, and the BCSPCA website will also have more updates but all of these animals are currently not available for adoption. So after that big downer of the weekly news, we are now going to head into a film review, something more lighthearted. Um, so thank you, Allison, for providing this review for us. This is Allison Cole, and once again, the Vancouver International Film Festival is upon us. As usual, we here at Animal Voices are pleased to give you our reviews of the animal-themed films in the festival. This week, I chose to watch Kalazar, a film by 36-year-old Greek visual artist and filmmaker Janis Rafa. The film is set in Greece with dialogue in Greek with English subtitles. What particularly drew me to want to watch this film was its title. Kalazar is a deadly zoonotic disease that has spread widely through southern Europe's dog population and also carried by 70 different species, including human beings. This film came out this January, right before a zoonotic disease crisis hit North America known as COVID-19. So it's good timing, I think, to present a film that touches upon a subject matter that is prevalent and still largely misunderstood by our world. But I say touches upon as perhaps an overstatement, as this is a really cryptic yet meaningful film to cover. This dramatic film follows a couple, Penelope and Dimitris, whose unusual job it is to drive around in their jeep and pick up the corpses of dead companion animals, then cremate them and return them to their past guardians within 24 hours as ashes in urns. They work for a pet crematorium, which is tightly funded by the municipality, and will only pay them to cremate animals that were cared for by humans for strict companionship purposes. So what happens to all the other dead animals in the urban environment who need to be dealt with? They pick them up anyways. The couple feels compelled to pick up roadkill for they are animals as well, and sneaks these animals in with the pets that's in quotes, who will all be mass burned together, or they cremate them in the middle of the night when no one is around. The story, without much of a plot line, explores various themes, including the coarse relationship between humans and animals, and how we as humans either relate or don't relate to the other animals, such as the roadkill or the strays, who also make up a part of our landscape and therefore human existence. Director Janice Rafa says that the intention of this theme is to understand life as a form of cohabitation, as a moment of sharing common places in common times, in acknowledging the other and paying attention to what we normally do not notice. 
Tagging on to this theme, there is a very unique scene regarding flies that struck me as quite profound. Penelope is sitting in the back of the jeep where all the animal bodies are transported and collecting the flies she has found there. In one of the infrequent passages of dialogue in this film, she voices out loud to her partner to consider a fly trapped in a car, and then when that fly is released, perhaps extremely far from where they entered in, if they can adapt to this forced migration, as she calls it. She asks if they have a sense of loss or nostalgia, and if they want to return home. All I can say is bravo to the poignant protagonist to raise these questions that even I, as a longtime animal advocate, have never heard before. And you'll see a lot more of these random yet connective scenes that expose the viewer to new sights, sounds, and situations that they probably otherwise would never see. Like I said, there is not much dialogue to this film. The couple communicates, like non-human animals, by actions or sounds, and not much by words. They are animalia. The storytelling lacks words, but is supported by the visceral images and sounds that we see on the screen. From watching Penelope's father thoroughly clean the snarly teeth of one of their pack dogs, to seeing the graphic sex scene in the opening of the film, to viewing and listening to the grandiose slurping sounds of a companion dog eagerly licking his human dad's face up and down while the man remains asleep on the couch. Each of these scenes take us through the story, and it's up to the viewer to piece them together as to what it all means. Dogs barking and flies buzzing create part of the vivid soundscape weaved together by the filmmaker's vision. This is a film in which death, another theme explored, is undeniable and permeated into the lives of the couple like the dirt in their skin. There's a lot to be interpreted by the viewer, and they can take as much or as little from the story in this film as they wish. The Vancouver International Film Festival is on now and goes until October the 7th. Most of the films are online this year with dozens of movies to be seen from the comfort of your home. Go to vif.org, V-I-F-F, to find out all about the festival, which films are playing, and to buy your virtual movie tickets to view films online. This year, the Vancouver International Film Festival, or VIF for short, will be all online. So if you'd like to stream a film, you can go to the website to book tickets and you can watch your movie for 24 hours once you start streaming. There are a few different films that have animal-related content, but there's also a wide range of subjects from documentary to drama that you can enjoy. So check out vif.org forward slash online to book your tickets. Do you need high-quality, sustainably produced materials for your campaign? Branding, video, or design for your grassroots organization? The Vancouver Artists Labor Union Cooperative provides all of this and more from our Chinatown studio. Our fully unionized, artist-run co-op provides fair, secure, and flexible employment for arts and cultural workers while producing top-shelf services. To find out how Value Co-op can elevate your image and bring visibility to your campaigns, email us at orders at valuecoop.ca or visit our website at valuecoop.ca. Value Co-op, where art and labor meet. Coming up, we have an interview with Emily Wilson, the owner of Living Tree Foods a local startup in Vancouver that is selling amazing vegan cheese products that are cashew-based, items ranging from cream cheeses, cheese wheels, and they also have carrot locks, a new chocolate haze, hazelnut spread, and cashew-based yogurts. I'll be sitting down and talking with her about what it's been like starting this business, coming from a background in law, surprisingly. So please stay tuned for that. We have a lovely conversation and it's really nice to talk to her because we know each other personally from selling our items at the farmer's market. Stay tuned. You are listening to Animal Voices on Vancouver's Co-op Radio, 100.5 FM CFRO, 100% listener-sponsored radio broadcasting live from the east side on unceded Coast Salish territories. 
There we are. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> How have you been? Pretty good. It's been um, a bit of a busy, oh, it's just, it's always busy. I feel kind of repetitive saying that all the time to people. Um, but yeah, we had three markets this weekend. Um, so just, but the good thing is we made a ton of product for them. So now this week won't be as busy at the kitchen. Yeah, because they weren't super busy. It was like a little rainy and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. This week was kind yeah. of gloomy. But I yeah, think exactly. they had the like coupons too. So it was still, people really showed up, it seemed like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing well. Exactly, yeah. Always also busy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we can really just get into it. Okay, so we'll kind of can just jump into it. It feels funny because I'm used to just talking to you anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just going to start with, um, I'm here with Emily Wilson, the owner of Living Tree Foods. We met at the farmer's markets where they sell most of their products. And I'm going to give it back to you. Could you just tell me who you are and what living tree foods is yeah for sure um well thank you so much for having me first of all this is so exciting <laughs> um yeah so living tree foods it's a company that my partner and i started just a couple of months ago um and we make plant-based foods that are mostly replacing and their animal-based counterparts um so kind of our uh main main item would be our cashew cheese. Um, we have a bunch of different flavors. I get really carried away with coming up with new, you know, varieties of it and stuff. Um, we have some that uh, come in wheels, some in cream cheeses. And uh, our other main product would be the cashew yogurt, just because I feel like cheese and yogurt are a couple of the things that people who are trying to eat more plant-based are um, really hesitant to move away from and give up. And there are more alternatives than there used to be, definitely. But I think there's still definitely room for more varieties and more improvement and more accessible pricing. Um, so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to really walk that line of really high quality and really yummy foods, but still keeping it affordable and accessible. Um, yeah, so it's been a lot of fun. We've just been selling at markets for the last couple of months. And uh yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun, huge learning curve. Like everyone always says a startup is so much work and you never really realize until you have to do every little detail yourself. Yeah. So what is kind of your vegan story? What got you into vegan cooking? Um, yeah, so I, my vegan story dates back um, quite a while. Um, I went vegetarian when I was nine, actually. Um, just on my own, I started kind of questioning where meat was coming from and kind of really making that connection that it was these animals that I loved that somehow ended up on my plate. And uh, so I started talking to my mom about it and she was in, she's a nutrition. So she knew that it wasn't necessary for me to be eating these things. Um, and so she was really supportive. She was like, well, yeah, if you don't want to be eating it, I can make something separate for you. Um, and I was like, yes, please, <laughs> let's, let's do it. Um, and uh, my dad was actually super sweet. He, I guess, didn't want me to feel isolated or, you know, alone. So he went vegetarian with me for a whole year. Um, and then uh, he, he did go back. He's vegan now, but uh, <laughs> there was some time in between. Um, so, yeah, so I was vegetarian for years. Um, and then I started, you know, learning more about the animal agriculture industry in terms of, you know, dairy and eggs. And so I was like, oh, you know, maybe if I just eat organic or free range and stuff. And so I did that for a little while. And then I just learned more and I was like, no, I got to cut it all out. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that was about, that was 2013. That was seven years ago when I went fully vegan. Um, yeah. So, and I've just been really the past few years just getting really involved with a bunch of different animal organizations and um, really trying to bring animal um, animal issues to the you know people at my school who wouldn't necessarily be attuned to that so yeah yeah um, that's really interesting so you have started the company because I obviously know you from just only over the summer when did you begin Living Tree Foods um, it was in June. Um, 
Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure we incorporated in June. I could be wrong. I really should know that. But <laughs> so my partner does like kind of the business side of things. Um, I'm kind of like the mad chef in the kitchen, making up the recipes and um, like doing like the branding and taking pictures of the food and whatnot. And uh, my partner, Kyle, he is um, really great at, he, he was like the one who got us into markets and he does all like the licensing and I mean, he does other stuff too, but yeah, it was just this past summer. So it was kind of a, would you say that it was like a bit of a COVID project or has that influenced your company in any way? Probably, I mean, it wasn't really, I would say because of COVID, but I would say that allowed us to do it because I would have been in Ontario if uh, COVID had not happened. So I was working actually at the Competition Bureau of Canada remotely this summer, and I would have been in Ottawa um, had COVID not happened. So I'm I'm from Ontario, and since I had never experienced a Vancouver summer, I um, decided since I'm working remotely, I might as well come out here and... uh, you know, have a Vancouver summer. And then so we were both working remotely. And so we just were together and had time to, you know, you know, start this project. And we were like, is this really dumb? Like to be (laughs) starting something in this environment? (laughs) Um, But it's just been fun regardless. So yeah, it's and I have to say, like, I've tried a couple of your different items. And for me, having like a spreadable cashew product is really useful in any scenario, because I I work all day or I'll be at the market and I'll come home and I can just like have that with some veggies and toast or make it and use it in like a salad dressing or it's really versatile and your um, sour cream and onion for instance like that flavor you hit it on the head it reminded me of sour cream and onion chips from when I was a kid it was perfect it was incredible <laughs> Oh my gosh, that that might actually be my favorite one. Yeah. Um, it's one of the new ones, and like I'm obsessed. For dinner every day for the past like three days, I've just had chips and sour cream and onion dip. <laughs> you have like a solid rotating flavor list now, or is it still kind of kind of what's fresh? Yeah, so it's more for our yogurts that we do um, what's seasonal. For example, um, we just bought a bunch of local peaches a couple of weeks ago, and so we prep those and freeze them and then we'll have um, like a peaches and cream flavor for the next little while. Um, We got our blueberries and raspberries locally in the summer, but those will be dwindling before the peaches. So it's kind of what's, uh, what's seasonal and what's available. But if we're getting, if we get into stores anytime soon, then we're going to need to kind of have more, you know, a more established product line. So I think our pure vanilla is going to always be available. And the blueberry raspberry seems to be quite a hit, the raspberry lime. So yeah, I think uh, we're still just kind of working out what the response is to different items as well, because if we think something's really delicious, but it doesn't seem to do well, then maybe we won't continue with that. (laughs) And are you hoping kind of for the future to go into stores anytime soon? Yeah, that is the hope. Yeah, we've been in talks with a couple, but nothing um, set in stone right now. We're just kind of gearing up to, you know, pitch to stores very officially. We're like, you know, working on our sell sheet, our, our wholesale pricing and whatnot. Since there aren't as many markets in the winter, we think it's just kind of a good time to kind of transition to retail, hopefully. Yeah, I think we want to do restaurants. Uh, like, you know, for example, I don't know if you know Seagull's Bagels, but their bagels are really good. They have a couple of vegan ones. Um, they did have one vegan cream cheese, um, but I think they would be kind of a big contender for taking like tubs of our cream cheeses, for example. So That's a really good idea. Yeah. Or salt even, or like rosemary and rock salt. I don't know if any of them have vegan cream cheese options. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so there are so many places. I just kind of have this running list of places that are on my radar and that I would love to get into so yeah that's a super clever uh, approach to doing that so if you could for our listeners tell them where you are currently available which markets you're at yeah definitely so um since we started a bit uh, later in the summer we don't have a super established and consistent schedule but um the markets that we go between are the Mount Pleasant market Lonsdale, Ambleside, 
Um, we were in the UBC market this past weekend and we'll be there again in a couple of weeks. But if you want to know where we're going to be, you can either check out our Instagram highlighted stories. We have a farmer's market highlight and that tells you where we'll be on any given weekend. And also um, that information is on our website but you can also buy from our website. It's just livingtreefoods.ca and it's an online store and we'll deliver to you or you can pick up from our kitchen in East Van. We're at Powell and Clark. Oh, you're at the commissary kitchen? Yeah, the uh, Coho commissary, yeah. Right near the impound lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, kind of an industrial vibe around there. But <laughs> So all of your products are cashew-based as of now, is that right? Um, the cheeses and yogurts are, we have a couple of other products available right now that aren't. So we have our carrot smoked salmon. I'm doing air quotes. Um, it's, a uh, yeah, it's basically just smoked salmon, but made from carrots and we've made lot like locks with it on bagels. We've made sushi with it. Um, so there's no cashew in that. And we also introduced our chocolate haze recently, which is a vegan Nutella chocolate haze or hazelnut. Yeah. I was, I was proud of that. Uh, <laughs> um, so that also doesn't have cashews. But yeah, we also do want to do, I know a lot of people um, have nut allergies that preclude them from having a lot of plant-based alternatives. So um, I've been working on a hemp yogurt and I haven't tried hemp cheese yet, but I'm going to delve into that. And so uh, I know the yogurt should be available relatively soon and I'm trying to figure out a nut-free cheese as well. Wow. I could see that making a lot of sense because hemp has kind of that like bitter nuttiness to it and it, it gets super creamy. Exactly, exactly. And it doesn't have, they neither cashews nor hemp seeds, I feel like have overwhelming flavors. Like they have a good base flavor, but it's not going to take over too much. So yeah, I think it would be, I have made like cheese sauces with it before, like pasta sauces, and it's really good. Yeah, I'm hoping it'll you know, a viable alternative for people who can't have nuts but want plant-based, like, alternatives. Yeah, so you were doing bulk things, and I was wondering what kind of inspired you to add that onto the site. Was it because you yourself were ordering in large quantities, or you wanted to kind of introduce that as, like, a if there was another reasoning behind that? Yeah, so, I mean, part of it was just that, hey, we're buying all this stuff in bulk. We can get people to like we can offer lower prices to people who want to buy this stuff like nutrition a lot of vegan staples are kind of notoriously expensive like nutritional yeast and whatnot um but also i'm trying as much as possible to be on that zero waste train i mean it's it's really hard to do a hundred percent but we figured if we could offer bulk items in like paper bags as opposed to getting a plastic bag from the grocery store that would be a good alternative for people who are also trying to you know be conscious of the amount of waste they're creating and that's kind of one of the things that i liked about your company specifically was you do have the dollar deposits on your jars mm. and and that you also are just you and your partner that it is like local and clearly focused on simplicity to some extent definitely can you speak a little bit on like what makes you choose the flavors that you've come up with yeah definitely um so at first it was kind of coming from i was first inspired when i first started making vegan cheeses by miyoko and her cookbook um uh, I don't know if people have tried Miyoko's, but Hershey's is really good. We were just trying to make ours a bit more of an accessible price point. Um, so that was kind of the jumping off point. But so, but that only really applies to a couple of them um, in terms of being inspired by those flavors. After that, I just kind of thought of pairings that were, I thought would be yummy, like lemon and dill. Um, I'm proud of the smoked paprika and toasted pine nut flavor because I feel like it's really unique and I don't know of another cheese, even dairy one, that <laughs> has that flavor profile. Um, yeah, but I really like it and it's kind of like fancy. I picture it on like a charcuterie board at a dinner party, you know. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of it was just coming from what I thought would be yummy together, but I am such a baby when it comes to spice. So I was kind of staying away from the spicy flavors and I know a lot of people like spice. So I kind of needed to branch out a little bit. So we made a 
jalapeno cheddar flavor recently that I don't personally eat because I will be set on fire, but, <laughs> um, but, a, but it's really yummy. Like I've had little bits of it and it kind of tastes like a nacho dip. Yeah. So basically just anything that is either like a classic or that I think, huh, that would be yummy. Let's, let's try that out. You know, like the sour cream and onion would be like a classic one, for example. Yeah. So does your partner then try the ones, like if it's too spicy, was he like, this is okay? This is. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, he, he's actually obsessed with the um, jalapeno cheddar one. So that one got a good reaction. But yeah, no, he's definitely a, because also dill isn't my absolute favorite flavor. Um, so the lemon dill, I'm like, this is good, but like, if you like dill, I think it'd be really good. And he does really like dill. So he was able to confirm. <laughs> that's, that's the benefit of having a partner for sure. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, we definitely do taste tests with our friends and family as well <laughs> and get their feedback. So is it entirely the team is just you and him doing all of the making? Um, so we have a couple of people um, help out in the kitchen. Uh, at first it was just he and I, but then um, our roommate, uh, she comes into the kitchen a ton to help out. She's been an absolute lifesaver. Um, we also have a, a couple of other people, actually my partner's family members that have come in to help out a few times as well. And so we're really trying to uh, kind of ramp up production and make it so that we are able to make enough to sell to stores, you know, consistently. So yeah, we've had help in the kitchen and it's been necessary and very appreciated. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible that you got into Coho um, like just so early on. Do you think that, I guess it's kind of hard to say, but like for the future, do you have aspirations to grow out of that or even out of province? I mean, I know it's like so early, but I, I'm sure you've thought about it. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. No, I mean the the dream is to take it, you know, nationwide at some point. Um, but in terms of a more uh, short-term goal, we would love to have a storefront at some point with a kitchen in the back. I mean, we're just talking about it at this point. It's There are zero concrete plans, but that would probably be what I would be leaning towards. And uh, yeah, eventually, I'm not sure exactly when this would happen, but, you know, selling to bigger chains hopefully I mean nuts for cheese is a huge inspirational story for the uh the cashew cheeses of the world so I interviewed the owner of Pulse a couple last month I believe and they mm -hmm. recently opened a storefront and I think it might be one of the only cheese shops in British Columbia vegan cheese shops so it would be really cool to have that in Vancouver yeah yeah no definitely and um if rent prices are going to allow for it more now than they would at other times. I mean, I guess that's one positive thing coming from all of this. Um, we do, we definitely have, you know, kind of dreamt about a storefront because there's so many other products that I want to make. Um, and so just kind of making them and lugging them all to markets and stuff just isn't really feasible and having enough to actually sell to people. So yeah, I, we want to branch into sausages, pasta sauces, you know, a ton of different stuff. <laughs> so you mentioned you're in school. Are you in business right now? No, not at all. <laughs> totally, totally separate and just completely not planned. Um, so I am in my third year of law school. I have, I have zero business background. My background is um, economics. And uh, my partner, he just graduated from law school and he's doing his articling right now. So not in our uh, traditional career paths, <laughs> but um, yeah, so we've been both kind of doing full-time stuff and articling is notoriously draining and exhausting. And so I've been very impressed with his energy and ability to still devote a ton of time and attention to the business. That's incredible. What type of law are you hoping to pursue if you still want to pursue it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, probably doesn't come as a surprise that animal law is uh, was a huge motivating, um, you know, aspiration to go to law school. I summered for animal justice two summers ago, um, which I don't know. I'm sure you're 
are familiar with animal justice, but in case anyone's not, it's just, um, uh, it's a Canadian organization fighting to advance the legal interests of animals. And that was an awesome experience. And the good thing about animal law is that um, even if you can't get into it right away, because it is such a small field still, unfortunately, um, the good thing is that it's not, you know, specific to this piece of animal legislation and that's all that animal lawyers do it really touches on every area of law you know like a big one right now would be the ag gag laws that are you know sweeping the nation <laughs> not allowing people to misrepresent themselves on job applications not allowed to not people not being able to record um, undercover footage these are very constitutional questions and many, many people would argue that constitutional rights are being violated, freedom of expression. So constitutional law and animal law intersect and it intersects with basically every other area of law as well. Yeah, we've talked about that bill so many times, 156, mm -hmm. I believe, yeah. um, on the show because, and especially with, um, with the recent death of Regan Russell, yeah. that yeah, I think it's for within the animal community, it's like clear to say like this is beyond unconstitutional that people can't can't be whistleblowers. They can't speak out on injustices they see in their workplace and what that mm -hmm. means that it goes way beyond just our programming. Like exactly. that's, that's really interesting. Yeah, I'm sure you have a lot of opinions on it. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> probably what exactly what you would expect. I mean, the good thing is in the States, similar bills have been um, struck down as unconstitutional. So, and you know, my hope is that uh, when this is inevitably fought in court in whatever capacity, that it's just going to bring attention to the animal agriculture industry that they don't want. And people are just going to become more and more aware, even more so than they are, um, of the need for whistleblowers and checks and balances um, that don't come from within the industry itself. Um, because I, I think it might kind of be like the, uh, I need a crimes case, you know, um, she, the, the pig trial um, uh, situation where she was charged with criminal mischief for giving a pig water on its way to a slaughterhouse. And it was just really not a good move, in my opinion, for the slaughterhouse because you know, to, to push that, you know, litigation forward because it just brought attention to how terrible the treatment of these animals was. And then she was acquitted and they just came off looking awful and it just brought more media attention to the problem. So I'm kind of hoping that might be a positive thing that comes from these bills, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I was thinking that because I, I think that's kind of why we keep wanting to talk about it is that the reason that dairy farmers are so excited about it is because they think, well, great, no one's going to question us anymore on our mm -hmm. bad behavior. But the fact that they're excited proves like, you know, as a business, you should be opening your doors to people. Exactly. To show them that you're not doing terrible things to both your employees and the animals that you're obviously killing. So, exactly. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It, it's pretty transparent, their motivation for it, regardless of how they're going to try and frame it. So, um yeah, I think most reasonable people are going to be right through it. And uh, I'm hoping it will have some sort of positive outcome. Wow. I'm so happy to be talking to you because it's it's interesting. There's a lot of people who start vegan businesses and it's never clear about motivation. There's even within our city, like I'm obviously not going to name names, but there's companies that are motivated by a trend of veganism. And so to hear that like, clearly this is a huge part of your life and that mm -hmm. making a business for making accessible cheese products is kind of just a small, like just the minutia of the work that you're doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's definitely coming from um, an authentic passion for it. I didn't just see a business opportunity and say, hey, you know, let's, let's kind of co-opt that movement that people care about, you know, to make money. Um, so you're right, it's definitely a passion project for me. And I try to do um, a lot of other stuff in the realm of animal protection, animal rights, and just raising awareness. Yeah. I mean, the reason the way, the way we got our name was, uh, I had started a 
vegan Instagram. I just, I had been taking pictures of my food for like a couple of years and I was like, Where, like no one wants to see this, but I'm going to post it anyways because I put it somewhere. <laughs> so I just like started um, the Living Tree Vegan Instagram. And so that's where we ended up getting the name. Oh, that's so cool. So you started doing, was it things that you're making yourself or different meals you were having? Um, it was yeah, both. Yeah. Just kind of really anything. Um, I, yeah. Cause I kind of got in, really into cooking, um, a few years before that as well. Um, yeah, believe it or not, I actually used to be such a lazy person when it came to food. Um, like I was definitely bordering on one of those junk food vegans. Uh, maybe not that bad, but I definitely wasn't making elaborate meals and like stir fries and whatnot every night. So uh, yeah, it was just really a few years ago that I got super into cooking and then I took pictures of it and took pictures of all the yummy restaurants I went to. And I was like, I need to have these all in one place. <laughs> so I guess with that, I don't know if you have like recipes or suggested things to do with your products, but have you kind of like used any of them in a creative way and done a recipe that you want to suggest to our listeners? In terms of recipes, um, I wouldn't say I have any off the top of my head. We just kind of use them every day in various ways. We mix and match our products. So we um, will have like a bagel with one of our cream cheeses with the carrot locks on top. Or if we're having a um, sandwich, we'll inevitably use one of our cheeses as a spread. Um, the Nutella is something that's super, ex or, sorry, I say Nutella, the chocolate haze is something that's <laughs> super exciting because it's new and uh there are just like so many different ways to use it obviously you know just on bread like I used to do as a kid um or in crepes that's a really big one that I'm excited to do I'm actually going to do that soon and I want to do a photo shoot and post it and uh someone at the market yesterday suggested you know putting it in their ice cream and so yeah I feel like other people come up with ways to use our stuff that I hadn't even thought of yeah another one is um Somebody said that they had used our yogurt as a, like in a salad. They used one of our mango tango yogurt in a salad, like as a dressing. And I was like, huh. Oh, wow. Genius. Yeah. As like a vinaigrette or that's really clever. I guess. Yeah, I know. Which I hadn't thought of. So yeah, but um, we will be. So I think I mentioned earlier that my mom is uh, in nutrition. So I think she's going to start blogging for us on our website about all the, you know, nutritional benefits of um, plant-based eating and she's also um, really obsessed with cooking and making recipes so I think we're also going to have a recipes in that blog some by her some by me those will be those will be coming for sure oh that's so cool yeah it's so cool to see like your Instagram also build and I noticed like kind cafe commented on something and I think that's really cool to see like things yeah. kind of like threading together yeah. And also, the, the, your cashew cream, your cashew yogurt, I've never had a vegan yogurt similar to that. I think it might have been the first cashew one I ever had. But it's super rich, and it's like no other yogurt on the market, I, I would say. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, most of them are coconut-based, and so we wanted to just do something different and not have that overwhelming coconut flavor if, for, for people that are not into that. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it shows and like the I had the blueberry blueberry blackberry, blueberry raspberry. Blueberry raspberry, yeah. Blueberry raspberry, yeah. You could taste the fruit. It was clearly like real fresh fruit and um so you mentioned your website, livingtreefoods.ca. Yes. Livingtreefoods.ca. Yes. And then your Instagram is at @livingtreefoods. Yep, exactly. I don't know if there's anything else you want to say to our listeners or anything else you want to add. Um, yeah, no, just, this has been a super exciting um, endeavor, kind of unlike anything that either my partner or I have ever done. So just thank you so much for, you know, listening and supporting. If you've tried our stuff, we would love to hear your comments or even if you have, since we are so small and it's really just us doing it, if you have any suggestions for flavors or products or, you know, like I said, I want to do um, a hemp yogurt to for people with nut allergies, if there's anything that people think that should be accommodated, we would love to hear ideas because we're still growing and expanding. So that would be very appreciated. And thank you so much for giving us a 
you know, a shout out here. It's awesome. Yeah, well, I'm I'm so excited. Doing Vancouver markets has been so exciting for me just to get to know a lot of small business owners and get to connect with people. Um, I feel like it's just such a friendly place to work in general. Yeah. And it's kind of inspired me. I was looking at your products and we have, this is kind of completely separate from the show, but we have all of these pumpkins coming in at the at the farm and one of the things I thought when I was holding one I was like oh like I wonder if Emily wants to do like a pumpkin pie yogurt like I just thought of you I was like thinking about it oh that's so cool and like it's kind of built like an inspiration for recipes in my mind things like that or yeah for sure so if you do want pumpkins we have pumpkins no yeah I mean I might hit you up for those because that's that sounds delicious I'm trying to think or maybe even like a pudding or some like dessert yeah Mm. Ooh. <laughs> yeah I mean I wanted to thank you so much for coming on um Animal Voices and yeah thank you so much this is like pretty much the first thing the first time I've ever done anything like this so it's so exciting <laughs> yeah I had a lot of fun <laughs> yeah it feels so crazy I feel like doing this program has been fun as well because I get to connect with people that I wouldn't otherwise get to connect with or like only talk to you once in a while so yeah yeah exactly. well yeah thank you so much um your podcast is awesome I think what you're doing is so cool oh thank you so much I think what you do is pretty cool too awesome thank you so much have a good day bye you too bye you've been listening to animal voices here on 100.5 fm vancouver co-op radio in so-called Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, unceded and ancestral lands of the Tsleil-Waututh, Squamish, and Musqueam people. Join us next week, October 9th, for a show that will be produced by Leah that will not be related to Thanksgiving. Thank you so much again to Emily Wilson from Living Tree Foods, who has really great products. And thanks again to Allison as well for making a great film review. If you have a chance, go online to access all of the films that are available to stream from the Vancouver Film Festival, which is all online this year. We are going to end today's show with an old favorite song of mine that I've been waiting to air called Meat by the band Noise Addict. Um... It has some lo-fi, youthful punk energy that is not to everyone's liking, but please listen to the adorable lyrics and enjoy. And as always, remember to be kind to all animals and all kinds. Yeah.